Good morning, and uh, welcome to our Bridge community, because we're live. And also, welcome to our Zoom folks who are joining us. It's always nice to have you with us. If you haven't joined us here on a Sunday morning before, um, we want to extend a particular welcome to you. We'd love to hear how you came upon us, because it's fun for us to take note of the connections between us. I also want to acknowledge that we who live here in the Abbotsford area and who are joining us live this morning live and do life uh, on the ancestral lands of the Stolo, Kwantlen, and Semiamu people. We want to express our gratitude for these nations and this beautiful land. We may notice that we have, uh, you may notice that we have an overarching theme of blessed are the peacemakers that threads its way through our gatherings, both um, at the prayer table, at communion, uh, sometimes in our songs, sometimes in our messages. Um, I want to spend a few moments in prayer this morning. Our news cycles have been filled with news of the massive earthquake in uh, Turkey and Syria. Church is not a place for us to hide from this world. Rather, it needs to be a place where we engage with it. So this morning, let's pray for Turkey and Syria. Jesus, this devastation in Turkey and Syria, ancient ancestral lands full of people that you love, it's hard to take it in. So many tens of thousands dead, many more injured and maimed, and more than a million without homes. We rejoice with our neighbors as children and families are found alive, and we wonder if we would shout, God is most great, Allah Akbar, as they do if something as bad, as they do if something as bad happened here. Let our wealth be your mercy, for we are part of them, and with them are part of you. In your sight, there are no borders. We, all of us, are your image bearers in this world. Christ, our God, thank you for pursuing all your lost lambs even when rescuers grow weary. Even the dead are somehow not beyond the kinds of rescue you are able to bring them. Help us trust you in dark places where we can find no light. Come bring the uncreated light of heaven to earth before we lose hope. Right now would be a good time. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Um, I want to introduce um, our speaker this morning. So last year, my husband Brad came home uh, with a book written by someone named Fran Vanderpool. And I'm a sucker for a biography, so I sat down to read Fran's story. I loved it. 
As a matter of fact, I have it here. A lovely hardcover book called Fenny to Friend, Reflections on Growing. So before I had got too far into the book, I reached out to her to ask if we could go for a cup of coffee. And um, that turned out to be a very intriguing and inspiring couple of hours for me. I asked Fran if she would be willing to share with our community at some point, and here we are today. I just wanna share one thing that I've noticed about Fran in our brief times together. She is a woman of depth, insight, and she is not done by a long shot. She inspires me with her tenacity to find new ways forward. I've been looking forward to what she brings us today, and I hope you are too. Come on up. Friend Vanderpool from Abbotsford, British Columbia. Just want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for Fran. Thank you for her story and for the way that you have woven yourself so intricately throughout it. I ask that you would give Fran peace now as she shares with us and that we would have ears to hear. Amen. Thank you, Eden. I am delighted to be here. You may have seen Peter and I around here occasionally. We have been members of Hillside Christian Reformed Church for the past almost 25 years, and our roots there are deep and rich. However, Hillside is also struggling with its present and future, so we've been branching out a bit, including the bridge. We love being here, and we're also part of a small group that we're really enjoying. However, our hillside connections are still very alive too. So I think we're getting the best of both the reformed and the evangelical worlds. We also see good and encouraging things happening in other churches. It's just too bad that everyone seems to prefer the holy hour of Sunday mornings at 10.30. <laughs> then there's the whole world that happens on the other six days. Today, in keeping with the peacemakers theme, I will be talking about prophets of peace. For those of you who follow Richard Rohr's blogs in the Center for Action and Contemplation, you will find echoes in today's message. The CAC ran a number of messages about prophets, they're still running them, in January, that inspired, confirmed, and helped me find the words to say about this. So, I have shamelessly borrowed parts from there. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid? When you hear God saying, do not be afraid, you'd better get ready for an adventure. More likely than not, God is nudging or downright pushing and dragging you into something new and different something unknown and unfamiliar, probably far beyond your comfort zone. Our natural reaction is to become anxious. The doubts and the fears come crashing in. Why me? I'm not qualified or capable. 
and I kind of like my normal, quiet little life. But then we hear the words, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid? <laughs> Here are some Old Testament examples. Abram, God, you're telling me to leave my homeland and all that is familiar and safe and go to a new land that you will show me? You're telling me I will become a great nation with as many descendants as there are stars in the sky when Sarah and I have been barren? You're telling me that you will bless all the nations through me? I don't get it. I don't know how to do this. Who am I? But I'll go. Or Joseph. God, you're telling me who was so badly bullied and mistreated by my own brothers to forgive them, to risk my own relationships and exalted position to make a safe place for them here in this land where I finally found refuge and success. It makes no sense. They surely don't deserve it. But I'll do it. Or Moses. You're telling me, an introverted desert dweller, felon and murderer, to go confront Pharaoh in the palace I grew up in? You're asking me to lead a great multitude of dirty, boorish slaves and whip them into shape as the people of God? I can't even talk very well. Who am I? But I'll go. Or many prophets. You're telling me to go walk up to the king and tell him to his face what he's doing wrong and how he will be punished? <laughs> Do you have any idea of how powerful that man is? And how he has treated others that told him truths he didn't like to hear? Why me? Who am I? But I'll go. Or these same prophets. You're telling me to march into the market square and tell the people that God is disappointed and angry with the way they're living? That they need to repent? To change? Just think of how embarrassing that will be for me and my poor family. The crowd will hate me. They've even stoned people like me. Can't you find someone else? Why me? But I'll go. Or Esther. You're telling me that I should become the wife of the emperor, King Xerxes? The same one who just deposed his wife for not being willing to disgrace herself by parading her beauty before a hall full of drunken men? You're telling me that I need to go to the most powerful man in the world and intercede and plead with him for my people? There is a single fate for anyone who approaches the king without being invited. Death. But I'll go. If I perish, I perish. Yes, God did. And God does. And God will continue to do so. What do these people and so many more like them have in common? They were all people who deeply cared about the things that God cares about. Abram was disturbed by the overabundance of idols and the resulting fracturing of life. He saw the pettiness, the competitiveness, the anxieties, and the fears. He recognized that God, one God, could be better understood in the starry skies rather than the idol-filled temples with the demanding and competing gods. 
and he saw in the foggy, foggy distance the possibilities when people's lives would be centered around and in one God. The God Abram knew was God over all things. He had a real, direct living relationship with people. And God had a vision and a plan that was good for all the nations and the peoples. Abram knew that. Joseph, despite the mistreatment and traumas he endured at the hands of his brothers, recognized that the God of his fathers, the same one Abram, Isaac, and Jacob knew so well, was with him too, taking care of him. He believed that God was using those painful events to bring about good. Those dreams he had dreamt as a boy that caused him so much grief with his brothers, even his father, were coming true. Moses loved and identified with his people, even though his mother had set him afloat in a tiny reed basket and allowed him to be taken away from her, to be raised by strangers in Pharaoh's family. He risked his life of luxury in Pharaoh's palace to defend the poor, the honor, and the life of one of his people. And now he was a man marked as a murderer, a refugee in the wilderness, who had finally found a safe and supportive place to quietly live out his days. Yet, he was still so very aware of the pain of his people and remained connected with his family. And those prophets, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Jonah, Jeremiah, and so many more. Esther knew the suffering of her people in exile. Even though the king and others in the palace did not know she was a Jew, Esther knew. She knew that her fate was tied up with theirs. And she knew that she was in a position to be able to do something about it. What do all these people have in common? Well, there are, if we can oversimplify, two ways of interpreting and measuring the events of our life. We can think of this as our point of view. We can live in our familiar world, wrapped up in the movement of our lives and experiences. Its movements are circumscribed predictable, familiar. We understand them. We have learned how to navigate and survive, maybe even how to flourish in the, within the circle of the systems. We have a hard time envisioning how we and life would work without these familiar structures. So we work hard to keep them functioning, maybe tweaking them a bit here and there, a little bit like maybe living in an old castle a prophet sees the world differently. Prophets don't see life as being circumscribed. They see through fences and they look over walls. They get out of their castle and explore around in an RV. Prophets know that human life, as well as the lives of nations, takes place within a context that is constantly in motion. Life is a continuous work in progress. Prophets see possibilities potentials in every direction. Prophets are very aware of the dynamics of what is happening. They not only see and hear the obvious, the surface, but they see down deeper. They see the forces at play, the struggles beneath the surface, and the potential consequences. Prophets see the powers and principalities ever struggling to overcome the good forces of God. Prophets put on the full armor of God so that they and we can stand. 
They take the risk of being part of the potentials to affect the balance of the powers to try to sway the outcome. Thus, profits themselves become potential. How do we deal with life? Do we believe that we already know and have what is needed to be in a good place with God and to make life work well? It could use some updates and modifications, but it's basically sound and we should just keep doing what we've been doing. We have a rich heritage in our belief systems, doctrines and structures in our faith life, as well as functional systems elsewhere, political, economic, justice, education. While acknowledging that they aren't always as effective or as comfortable as they could be, and even that there might be some significant flaws, they're still good enough? Is our castle still the best place to live? Or do we believe that life is really dynamic? That it isn't quite finished yet? That there could and should be better ways? That what worked in the past may not be the way to go in the present and future? That you and I are involved in a circling series of potentials? No, that we are potentials. You, me, potential. And nothing is quite able to contain us and the dynamics of our life and our situation. The prophets of Israel were intimately tied up with the movements of the periods in which they lived. They were involved in the social process. They saw and they were potential. That's very important to remember. Another important thing about prophets is that they had a close, real, and personal relationship with God. They knew and they know where God is. So where is God? God is not seated way up there somewhere on a lofty throne in pure, dazzling white robes, surrounded by choirs of angels distracting him from all the disappointing and messy stuff that's happening down here on earth. Nor is he watching us aloofly from afar, occasionally stepping in to prevent disaster, like a distracted parent keeping one eye on squabbling children, or sending occasional thunderbolts down to keep us awake. Prophets know that God is inside the historic process. Prophets view God as actively involved in our lives, in a true relationship. Prophets talk honestly back and forth with God, listening, asking questions, making observations, maybe arguing, maybe pleading, and finally submitting. God may be seen as our coach, but the players are the ones who actually get into the field to play the game. The coach doesn't know the score before the game has been played, and neither do the players. They have hopes, they have a mission and an end goal. They practice and they play hard. And at the end of each game, they do the analysis of what needs to happen next to be true to their mission. That's how I see God at work. We're in this together. And we are working to achieve a common purpose. And that purpose is good for everyone. Now for some New Testament examples. How much more intimately involved can you get than Mary? A young girl with her whole life stretching out ahead of her. Things had fallen into place really nicely. She was engaged to be married to a good man. She expected to take up her traditional role as wife and mother in her community 
Then an angel came and said, do not be afraid, Mary. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you're going to become pregnant before your marriage. You will have a son, and he's going to be different. I'm not sure that Mary's neighbors would have seen her as highly favored by God. I'll let YouTube paint the picture for you. My sincerest apologies for the very blue-eyed, fair-skinned, Western European-looking Jesus. We know that Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew, but the pictures are still pretty good.
No, Mary couldn't have known all these things. But she did get glimpses. Simeon, among others, had forewarned her. He said to Mary, This child is going to cause many people in Israel to fall and to rise. God has sent him, but many will speak against him. The thoughts of many hearts will be known. And then he added, looking deep into Mary's eyes, his whole wise and face full of concern for her, a sword will wound your own soul too. A sword will wound you to the very depths of your soul. And Jesus, <clears throat> he was and is considered a prophet, the greatest prophet. Jesus spoke, as prophets do, for or on behalf of God. In fact, he seems to have done so more confidently and boldly than any other prophet. Where did Jesus derive this unshakable assurance that he could speak so directly for God? In reading the Gospels, the general impression we get is that Jesus was very much a man of action, preaching, teaching, healing, and confronting the religious and political leadership. What we do not always notice is that behind and in support of all these activities was a life of constant prayer and profound contemplation. Anyone who wishes to take Jesus seriously, to follow Jesus, to be in him, would have to live a life of prayer and contemplation. In the history of Israel before Jesus, prophets were rare individuals with a special calling and role. Jesus' aim was to open up the spirit of prophecy to everyone. Then, too, we can all become courageous enough to speak out like the prophets. So what is a prophet? Let me try this as a definition. A prophet is one who names the situation truthfully and in its largest context. We don't usually like to deal with the big picture. We're much more comfortable dealing with the details of our little world, trying our best to survive and thrive. Big pictures are overwhelming. Some say that Jesus' metaphor and image for what we would simply call the big picture is the reign of God or the kingdom of God. The Roman Catholics often use the phrase, in light of eternity. The prophet or prophetess speaks truthfully and in the largest context. This call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond, beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all humankind. When I speak of love, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm not speaking about emotional bosh. I'm speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as a supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. This Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Sikh belief about ultimate reality is beautifully summed up in the first epistle of John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. And in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. And that's, I think, what Kevin was referring to this morning as well, where we see God in each other. Let us hope that this spirit will become the order of the day. So we're called to think big picture, to think the realm of God or the kingdom of heaven, to think in the light of eternity. Neither God or we can just be spectators. God is intimately involved in the unfolding of events of history. God is the coach. It has also placed me right smack in the middle of the playing field where I am caught in an encounter with a series of potentials. As a player, I need to be very aware of what all the other players are up to. The game plan and the highly practiced scenarios can only play out when the circumstances are just so. And I am a part of making that happen. And so are you. We all are individually and we all are collectively. Now, it's an amazing thing to nod our assent to this and be overcome with the grandeur and responsibility of it all. Yes, God helping us, we can, we will. And there are so many potentials we see and may be a part of. So many things happening in our globe in crisis. Just scrolling through the news feeds, it makes us painfully and depressingly aware. Today, I'd like to focus on one thing that is changing that we can relate to and maybe be a part of doing something with the potentials. Churches like The Bridge think, pray, and talk about who we are and how we serve in our present day, as well as keeping an eye out towards the future. In the bigger picture, we are also aware of a change to the status quo. For years now, participation in religious practice, services and practices has been declining. I think pretty well across the board here in Canada and across the Western world. So whether you look at churches, synagogues, mosques, gurdwaras, or temples, we're all facing similar realities, I believe. We can lament this and pray and work hard to try to turn it around. <clears throat> or we can wonder why this is so and what are potential alternatives. Maybe instead of the typical despairing and trying to hang on to and restore the traditional ways, we could be asking what God is doing in this. Is God creating new highways in the desert? Could this be akin to the breaking down of Jerusalem with its temple and culture that happened in AD 67 and 70? To bring rethinking and thus renewal to both Judaism and the fledgling Christian church? We can lament in despair, or as God said in Isaiah 43, but the Lord says, Forget the things that happened in the past. Do not keep thinking about them. I'm about to do something new. It's beginning to happen even now. Don't you see it coming? I'm going to make a way for you to go through the desert. I will make streams of water in the dry and empty land. Do we really believe this? Can we see a new way through the desert? Do I, do you, do we collectively believe this? Do we have the courage to be part of the new thing? God has given each of us a particular vantage point where we need to seriously look at the potentials, but not just the potentials, our potentials. 
what am I able to do in the realities of my life to be a part of this something new? The Peace and Reconciliation Center under the UFV umbrella, I'm a part of that, has over the past five years, years or so been trying to find its unique identity and purpose. The dominant approach of the center to date has been to collaborate with stakeholders to conduct research so that we can facilitate constructive dialogue to support conflict transformation and reconciliation. PARC is doing some really good work, especially on indigenous issues, immigrant and refugee integration, harm reduction, interpersonal violence. However, we realize that peace and reconciliation is actually spiritual work. It's heart work. And there are many faith groups and highly trained and committed faith leaders that operate in that realm that are not participating in our discussions. Is there a creative role for faith leaders that transcends their institution's walls? With fewer people being active participants in the more formal and specialized faith communities and systems, how do we continue to serve, support, and shape our society's heart needs? Yes, we know the answer is love. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves is a summary of all the law and all the prophets. But love has to have a face, a voice, arms and legs, and a mind willing to follow the summons. Don't be afraid. Let's be willing to go forth boldly, taking the strengths of our God and leaving the past behind as we discern God's voice in 2023. I'm both comforted and directed by the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 3, as translated in the message. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. <clears throat> it's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of, and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us, by the spirit he gave us. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Softly spoken, but the challenge was directly thrown down, guys. I hope you heard it. I'm feeling uh, a little bit of uh, conviction myself. And um, wow, why is it when someone says, don't be afraid? <laughs> I instantly go to, oh my goodness, I'm afraid. Why? Um, we leave this morning. I just want to... Um, finish with a blessing so in a couple days we have Valentine's so I'm, my benediction is uh, 
about love. So in a season, Jesus, where we celebrate love, we ask you to pull out all the stops to just to show us just how much you care for and love each of us. May we reside in your love and share it freely. Amen.